Shaq, let's just say that a uh, snake bit your mom right up here, right in the chest area. Would you be willing to suck the venom out to win the title? No, but I will with your wife. Hope we can win a game. And we're in here talking about practice. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. Hello and welcome to the Pick and Roll Podcast. My name is Bill Gold. Alongside me, as always, for this podcast will be Kevin McLernan. We're, uh, we're right into the NBA season. We're pretty excited about that. And it's been a pretty exciting season so far. I think the biggest story that comes out of the season, and there's a, there's a bunch, and we're going to get to a few of them in this podcast, but I think the one that is easily above all the others is what Steph Curry, and the Warriors overall, but especially what Steph Curry is doing so far, uh, it's unbelievable. And honestly, in some statistical categories, it's never been seen before in NBA history. Yeah, I mean, he's averaging... 34 points a game, and he's passing the ball well and even rebounding well. I think he had 11 rebounds or something last night uh, against the Clippers, which is a fantastic game to watch, and almost a 35 PER. So uh, it was just an amazing start to this season, uh, and I really hope he can keep it up. Yeah, I think anybody who's a fan of the NBA, regardless of what team you root for and whatever, I, I think everyone's kind of rooting for him. Uh, to keep this going. And I understand that, you know, if you're a Clippers fan or a Spurs fan or whatever, uh, you don't want them to be doing this uh, come postseason time. And it might hurt you for a game or two if, you you know, you're looking for the number one seed. But it looks like even if they taper off a little bit, they're gonna they're probably going to lock that number one seed up. But I think that everyone, you know, really can appreciate the level of, of play that he's at right now because, like I said, in some categories, it's never been seen before. Uh, and I heard a stat... I believe it was last night that, uh, or this morning that no one except for Wilt Chamberlain one season uh, has ever averaged this many points per minute. So it, it, obviously he's aided a lot by the three-pointer. Uh, that helps because you get three points obviously every time instead of the two that Wilt would, would have had. But the thing is that anytime you get compared to a statistic that Wilt has, especially one that he only was able to achieve one time, you're talking about something very special uh, because Wilt, you know, obviously had – when you look at the most dominating stats, Wilt is by far and away uh, the, the, the leader as far as the NBA is concerned in that category and has some of the most unbreakable statistics. I mean, we can debate whether or not what that had – why he was able to do that, but – any time in a modern NBA setting you're able to get anywhere close to what he did statistically, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I think we can both agree that I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I don't think we will ever see anybody average 55 points during a season. Right. I mean, it, it's special when somebody scores 50 points in a game now. I mean, it's just, it's just not the same game now, and that's why it's so tough to compare people. But like you said, when you're mentioning only Wilt Chamberlain and only one season – uh, with the season that Steph Curry's having right now, it's it's definitely a special one. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were comparing some statistics with Michael Jordan. And what I don't like about that is it, it leaves a lot of people who don't really follow the game with this idea that that's a fair comparison. 
what Steph Curry is doing, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not a Steph Curry hater, and I know I do this a lot with him, but we have to remember he has not been in the league that long. What he's doing right now is unbelievable. What he's done in his short career has been amazing, and he's only gotten better, so I, I can't wait to see what he's able to do. But we can't, you know, even though he has some statistics that are up there with what Jordan was doing at, at some seasons, it's a lot different. Uh, Curry is more of a scorer. Jordan was a great scorer at times, but Curry is a more pure of a scorer kind of player. And now other parts of his game are taking shape as well. But the thing with when you're comparing to Wilt is when you're looking at Wilt Chamberlain, he's one of the greatest of all time, no doubt. But you always look at Wilt, and the thing you look at is his ridiculous statistics. Like you said, the 50 points per game. I think he averaged 25 or 27 rebounds to go along with that in that season. Those are crazy statistics. But when you talk about Michael Jordan, you talk about overall greatness, uh, playoff greatness, championship greatness, uh, you know, legendary game takeovers, all that kind of stuff, and and an overall game uh, that just was next level. Now, Steph Curry is definitely on the trajectory to get there, but I just that's the only thing I worry about is, is trying to take him to that level before he's really there. I mean, like you said, the the real NBA fans realize that they're not directly comparing Steph Curry to Michael Jordan, but anybody who hears them outside of the NBA uh, may criticize those comparisons just because those aren't the same type of players. Um, at least not right now. I'm not going to say Steph Curry can't Michael Jordan to be that type of player with that many rings, but uh, he still has a long way to go. Yeah, I mean, and right now the team that they have – it looks like a team that could win several championships. Now, obviously, that's an easy thing to say, uh, just to sit here and say that. And it's not just what they look like on paper. It's really actually what they look like when you watch them on TV because a lot of people, even after last year, including myself, kind of put a tarnish on what they did and what they accomplished because they played a couple teams that had injury, injured players. And they played the Cavaliers in the NBA Finals who were several men down. So we kind of all questioned whether that was a really legitimate championship. And they came back this year trying to prove that it was. And they're on the tear that they're on now trying to make a point. The way they look right now, and I'm not saying on paper, I'm saying to the visual eye, they look good enough to win several championships. Now, obviously, that's a hard thing to do, and teams are going to change and all of that. It's about keeping these guys together. They have a core here. They've returned almost everybody from last year. If these guys continue to come back... There's enough youth here to carry some of the guys who are not necessarily towards the end of the career, but like, you know, Andre Guadal has been in the NBA a long time. He's going to be declining, but Curry, Thompson, Draymond Green, these guys are still getting better. If they can keep this core together, this is a team that could definitely win uh, a couple of titles without a doubt. And, and like you said, I mean, the, the toughest thing for a team after they win is to still have that hunger for another one. I mean, we saw the Spurs lose uh, a brutal game six and game seven uh, to lose to the Heat, and that's what kept their hunger up for that next championship. But uh, for a Warriors team that, I, I guess I'll compare it to what Jordan Spieth said about his uh, majors this year. He said that like, he reached his goal. I mean, his goal was to win majors. It's going to be tough to, to keep going and keep himself hungry for those. The Warriors were given a perfect, I mean, handed right to them. Everybody's saying that they didn't deserve it. And now, they start off the season 13-0 and really don't even have to worry about staying hungry because the other teams made them stay hungry themselves. 
this is a, this applies throughout sports. I, I love that you talked about Jordan Spieth. That's a great quote that you just you just had there. That's so true. I mean, it's it makes you scratch your head when you're thinking about a kid who's what is he 22 or something? He's won a bunch of majors already, well two, uh, but he's been close in a couple other ones. I think he was second in the other two majors. Obviously, he's one of the best players in the world. There's a money factor, fame. Uh, obviously, to try to be that young and be that successful, you could start to think about maybe if I can continue this pace for a couple more years, I can start to think about chasing Tiger or even going behind beyond him and getting the record for the most majors. That's a long way off, but that's a long-term motivation to go get more majors. But this applies in all sports in, across the board. The same thing happened this year when you look at the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. They're going to say that it's not their, it's not motivation for them. Brady's saying it's not motivation for them, what happened with this whole deflate gate situation. But it absolutely is. His integrity was attacked. The team's integrity was attacked. And this is them coming out again with their middle finger up saying, you know what? You know, you want to question our integrity? You, you're just not as good as us, and you're mad about it, and we're going to show it to you. We're going to prove it to you that no matter what kind of things you can try to say or do to us, we're the best. And that's what they're doing. And even great teams... Like what they're doing right now, you, they always need some kind of added motivation. And you're right. The Warriors, you know, after winning the championship, could easily have come back this season and kind of coast it, gotten to the playoffs, and then try to pick it up from there. But the way they come out of the gate, I think you're exactly right. I think it's because, you know, they, they have this motivation of the media and everybody telling them, look, it, you did what you did was great, but, it, you know, it, it's kind of tarnished because of these injuries. And if you look at what the Cavs are doing right now, even though they are 8 or 9 and 3 right now, LeBron is saying that there's no fire there. He looks at the Warriors and says, look at these guys. Look at the passion that they're playing with, uh, especially the game last night when they were down 20-some points and fought all the way back that the Cavs don't have. And it makes you scratch your head because the Cavs actually lost. They seem like they're in, they feel like they're entitled because they play in the East and they're probably going to come out of that, that conference if they can just stay healthy. Yeah, I mean, it's a different story for them. They're just trying to get healthy and uh, just trying to mesh together. While the West, I mean, you're you're fighting just to even get home court in the first round. I mean, obviously the Warriors most likely are going to get that with this amazing start, but all the other teams are trying to win their divisions. They're trying to get home court uh, in the first round. Uh, of course, this is the first year that divisions don't matter um, for seeding at all. Um, shouldn't matter i don't think the thunder are healthy and that they should be in the top four but uh, i mean all those other teams are, are going to be worried about that rather than resting up of course the spurs are rest up anyway they don't really care um but i mean for the Cavs, it's, it's just get healthy get everybody together and let's get ready for the playoffs well that's the one thing i worry about with the warriors if i'm a warriors fan coach whatever i'm looking at this team and i, I love the effort I love what they're doing, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't have tried to fight back in that game last night. It's not, I'm not suggesting any of that. What I am worried about is they're doing the anti-spur thing, which is go 100% every night. And I can appreciate that because in the NBA, that's a rarity. You don't see that. There's a lot of guys and a lot of teams that take nights off, especially when they get down 20 points in the first quarter. A lot of teams tend to lie down. They just don't care. Um, the season's long, and it's... It, it's a tough one to get through. There's 82 games, back-to-backs, road trips, all of that. And I just worry that by the time they get to the end of the year, maybe they'll have 70, 72 wins. Maybe they'll get the NBA record and get 73. I don't know. They, they look good enough. Maybe they will. I mean, that's, a, again, a huge stretch. they got to stay healthy. got to stay hungry. But if they do that, 
will they have enough left in them to get through the Western Conference? Because, like you said, the Spurs are going to rest their players. I don't know about some other teams, but depending on where the seeding ends up at the end of the year, they can rest some players. But if Golden State, by the same token, if Golden State gets out to enough of a lead, they could rest players at the end of the year also. I just, again, I think the Spurs' strategy of resting throughout the year is a little bit better because if you get a five- or six-game lead and you rest guys for the last three or four games of the season, you know, you, you... Rust can can quickly settle in. I, I you know a week is enough. I think in, in basketball to have you come out sloppy. But again, you'll have the first round and everything where you probably won't play a team that's that that good. You could argue so. I, I'm just saying. Well, in the know. West, you're going to get pretty good darn teams. <laughs> I mean, even the eighth seed in the West. Uh, I mean, maybe that a lot of people think there's seven top teams in the West, so they may might get a break with that eighth seed, but. Uh, a couple teams have spread off poorly in the West that we expect to make the playoffs. So who knows what that picture is going to look like at the end of the year. Yeah, and I think it's just overall, you know, the, these guys do have some young young guns. Curry, Thompson, Draymond Green, those are the young guns that they have. But like I said, you know, they lean a lot on Iguodala and Andre, uh, Andrew Bogut, and those guys aren't exactly young. So, you know, we'll have to see how, how it goes throughout the season. But that's the only thing that you could possibly question at this point is, is it worth all their energy right now at the beginning of the season uh, for the long run, for the long haul? I mean, I just would hate to see them burn out uh, at the end of the season. And I think, uh, what did the Mavericks win, 70 games? Uh, I think they went 70 and 12, and they lost in the first round to the Warriors, so maybe they uh, were affected by that fatigue, uh, going hard every night. Uh, So we've seen teams fall. I mean, once you win that 70 games or – as many games as you win up that and get that top seed doesn't guarantee you a first-round win at all. Right, exactly. And like you said, the Western Conference is tough. You know, in a 1-8 matchup, usually the team that's 8 is, is just not as good or even close to as good as the 1 seed. But, I mean, that's a, that was a, a scenario that's happened before. And like you said, the West is really good this year. And some teams, uh, namely, obviously, the Houston Rockets, which we can get into in a minute, you know, right now they're not even in the playoff picture. Now it's way too early to do that. But they're actually under 500 right now, which is pretty alarming. If they start to get their stuff together at some point this season and make the playoffs, they could end up at the eighth seed. But that's a team that has a lot of talent and could give you a lot of trouble, especially if you're not fully, you know, rested. Yeah, I mean, that's a team that some predicted to even come out of the West this year. And they've had a bad start. Uh, they have to adjust to the new players in their team. But Ty Lawson... Um, Comer to that team should you would expect it to help them out. I don't know how he really fits with James Harden because they both kind of need the ball in their hands. So I think that team just taking a little adjusting. Um, but like you, like we're talking about, they could possibly end up with that AC if they keep struggling and have to fight their way into the playoffs. Yeah, and they just fired their coach. I think most people who are paying attention know that. If you don't, they just fired their coach, Kevin McHale, uh, after maybe ten or eleven games uh, through the season. Um, which is which is crazy to me. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, they they he obviously made the conference finals last year, right? And look, I I understand that the beginning of the season right now, like I said, they're under 500. That's alarming because they have a lot of talent. And like you said, they made the Western Conference Finals, and a lot of people expected them to get back at least to that point, if not further, and, and challenge the Warriors for the West. Right now, they're they're averaging getting outscored by almost eight points or seven points per game. They're not playing any defense, basically. Giving up 108 points per game is almost the worst mark across the entire NBA. 
Uh, I understand they play in the West, and some other good teams give up a lot of points too, but that, that's a little bit too, too much. And they're 5-7 and seven on the season, but like you said, I mean, this is, this is too early to fire a coach. And as far as I'm concerned, they're taking their franchise in the wrong direction by firing that coach and going with those players. But again, those are the guys that you pay the big money to. So obviously, they must believe in these players that much to want to go in the direction of those players. But I would much rather go in the direction of that coach and move players around if I have to move one guy that's a superstar, whether it be Harden or Howard, to bring in other good players, or if I have to do another trade with other middle guys, rotation guys, whatever I have to do. But I would have kept the coach uh, over those players. Yeah, it was definitely an interesting move, one that I personally don't agree with. Um, and we've already heard, uh, I mean, Danny Ainge of the Boston Celtics, uh, of course, they were teammates in Boston, uh, reached out to Mikhail saying that he has a spot for him. And he doesn't really care what the spot is. Danny Ainge, he said, we want Kevin McHale in our organization. Uh, I've heard rumors about Dallas saying the same thing. Uh, Dallas, he previously worked for Dallas uh, before he was the coach um, at Houston. So, uh, there is a demand for Kevin McHale, whether he takes a job right away or, or waits a little. I think we'll be back in the NBA during the season. No doubt about it. And he did a good job coaching that team. Obviously, like you said, they made the conference finals last year. I just think it's not right, even if they were 3-9 and uh, what it would be three and nine or whatever at this point. You still don't fire him. It's too early in the season. There's a lot going on. Like you said, they brought in uh, a new player that, that needs the ball in his hands a lot. They have some things to work out, but you got to let them work out their kinks first. It's not like they haven't won any games. Uh, they don't look as efficient on either end of the floor as they were last year. Part of that has to do with James Harden, who has not played very well this year. Uh, I know that I think it was the game after McHale got fired. I think he went for like 40 points. Um, but, you know, I don't know if that was in response to the firing of the coach or more just, you know, we need to wake up here regardless of who our coach is, um, which is clearly the case. But, you know, it's just an unfortunate situation, and I don't think he was right at all to do that to, to Mikhail because, like I said, you, with that much success, you come back the next year and get fired through 12 games uh, or whatever it is. That, that's just not enough, uh, you know, to me of a sample size to really think that this is, you know, not, this situation isn't going to work itself out. Um, you know, teams go through slumps. It just so happens that they're going through a slump right now coming out of the gate. It happens. Um, that doesn't disqualify the Rockets from turning it around, becoming a really good team at some point this season and making a run in the playoffs. Uh, they just need to figure it out, and it's just not right to get rid of the coach just because the team is under 500 by a couple of games. Uh, I mean, they, they need to start playing defense. You can't give up 108 points per game. Uh, the only two teams that are, are giving up more points per game are the Sacramento Kings, which are 108.2, uh, so right with the Rockets. And then the Pelicans, who are a whole other story, averaging uh, 109.9 points against, which um, that team is just in, in disarray right now. And that, that might be a very big understatement starting the season 1-11 for a team that everybody expected uh, to make another jump after making the playoffs last year. They only have one more win than the Philadelphia 76ers. One more. Yep. They, like you said, they're 1-11. Um, they have numerous problems. But I think that the biggest thing and the obvious one is what you just pointed to, 109.9. That's almost 110 points per game given up. Like I said, the Western Conference, a lot of teams give up about 100 points per game. We get that. It's the Western Conference. Teams are going to score a lot of points. But 110 points per game, that's ridiculous. I mean, it's just it's unacceptable. 
And, you know, if you want to talk about coaches getting fired, that's a much more appropriate situation to fire a coach over. You're 1-11 after last year you made the playoffs. You're supposed to take a step forward. And your team is just, they're just, that's just, there can't be any heart there. It has to be a lack of heart to give up that many points per game and just not buying in and putting in the effort on the defensive end. It's a, it's a disgrace. Yeah, I mean, like, I I understand Anthony Davis has been hurt. Uh, he's missed a few games. Um, but even in the games he's playing, I mean, they're not playing great defense. Um, I mean, he's averaging 22.7. Um, I mean, still has a 25 PER for the season. But, I mean, you look at the, the rest of the team, Eric Gordon's not known for his defense. Ryan Anderson is on uh, below average uh, defender for power forward. Uh, Drew Holiday, um, I think it's I think he's capable, but you mentioned the heart, and I think sometimes he checks out uh, if the rest of the team's checking out. Um, Ish Smith, Tony Douglas, Luke Babbitt, Dante Cunningham, Kendrick Perkins is, is, I mean, on the downside of his career. He used to be a very good defender. That team isn't built to defend. I mean, what are you building around Anthony Davis there? Um, I just don't see where this organization is going, and they're basically just banking on Anthony Davis being the best in the world and leading them to a championship. What what bothers me about that is we just saw this uh, epically fail. Now, this team got to a championship and I believe got swept. If If they didn't get swept, they won one game maybe. But it, as an overall project, it epically failed. And that was the Orlando Magic. This looks very eerily similar to that, that situation. You have a big-time money franchise player at center. And then you have a bunch of scrubs, a lot of which can shoot the basketball and shoot the three very well. Now, it's a little bit different in the sense that they're not playing as much inside-outside ball because Anthony Davis can kind of play all over the floor. But it's similar in the situation where you have a big-time center that's the focus of your franchise, a bunch of scrubs, and guys that can shoot the three. It's not a formula for success. Somebody's got to play defense at some point. They're not playing any defense. And like you said, even if the guys aren't that good defensively, you could, if you just work hard, practice at it, and defense, a lot of defense is about pure effort. Now, I understand if you have total scrubs, they're just going to get beat every time off the dribble, especially some really good teams in the West. But I don't buy that you are so bad on defense. And with NBA-level players, now they're scrubs, but they're NBA scrubs. These guys belong in the league for the most part. Now, a couple guys maybe towards the end of the bench we could talk about. But, you know, six, seven, eight, nine of those guys, most of the guys in the rotation, they belong in the NBA. So if, if that's the case, then don't tell me that you guys don't have the talent to at least give up less than 110 points per game. That is definitely an effort uh, question. You can get that number down to 107, 106. That's still bad, but it's a lot more acceptable. I mean, 110, like I said, it, that's just effort. That's a lack of effort and, and heart. And uh, that NBA Finals you were speaking of was the 2009 NBA Finals. Lakers did win 4-1, to so uh, Magic did manage to win a game, and that was Probably, I mean, they did a few circles. It was playing amazing uh, leading up to that NBA Finals. Uh, the, the Pelicans team also, I mean, they're waiting to get Tyreek Evans back. He should be back in a week or so, I think. Um, I mean, he's not really known for his defensive prowess either, but he can help out a little, uh, especially in the offensive end. So I'm, I'm not saying this team isn't going to make the playoffs, but and if, if you're missing 
Uh, if anybody else is missing their best player, I mean, if the Rockets are missing James Harden, if the Warriors are missing Steph Curry, they're not starting 1-11. And uh, you really have to worry about your team. Um, if your, your backup players, uh, not even your backup players, your, your other starters uh, can't cover um, for your star player in, in that game. In the span of 12 games, you only win one. Yeah, I mean, obviously this team is not built to win a championship. Okay, that, That's a huge stretch, but... The point is, this team made the playoffs last year, and they should be taking a step forward because they're not rebuilding. Uh, they have a great player, and they only have really one great player. So when he's out, they're going to be worse than Houston, who still has Dwight Howard, and the Warriors are just a really well-built all-around team. Um, so they're not going to struggle that much when, when Steph Curry's missing. But at this, by the same token, like you said, it's one thing if they are, they only won four or five games, they have a losing record. I get that part of it. But like you said, one and 11, the Sixers are only one game behind that. And we're going to get to Sixers in a minute. But the Sixers are only one game behind you. That tells you something is seriously wrong because I know they have a lot more talent than the Sixers. And even if Anthony Davis isn't in the game, you've got to figure out a way to win. But, yeah, I mean, as, as an overall picture, if you're the Pelicans franchise, you've got to see you have a problem here. And you better fix it soon because, as we've seen with what LeBron James did now, you know, guys are not, and Dwight Howard has moved around after his Orlando debacle. Guys are not going to stick around. They're going to have a tough time. Now, I know Davis, I believe, is in a, is in a, a long-term contract. Am I correct? I believe he signed one last year for yeah. five years. Now, are you going to be able to keep him through that contract? Obviously, he's under contract. But, you know, there are situations where these guys have a lot of power. And if he decides that he wants to try to hold out or demand uh, a trade, you're going to be in the same situation. He might be going out on the floor, but you're not going to be going in a positive direction. So at some point soon, they need to turn their franchise around or this situation could get ugly. I don't see Anthony Davis that, as that kind of player. I, I could be wrong. I, I just don't see him as a as a Dwight Howard type with hold out and and force a trade like that. I mean, we'll see because um, he doesn't have a lot of help around him right now, like we're talking about. Unless unless, unless the team comes together when he comes back. I mean, sometimes that's maybe all you need is your top player to come back. Everybody gets together, but then there's another problem, like like we're talking about. I mean, why should you? Just be up for games when your best player is on the court. You have to find ways to win without him there. And when he, even when he subbed out of the game, you need to be able to find scores. You got to come up with stops. Um, and they just haven't been able to do that this year. Yeah. Again, I'm questioning their heart. I'm questioning their pride, their passion, because this team, again, I know I call them scrubs, but these guys, together, collective as a unit, should be able to. Put, uh, put together more than one win out of 12 games. That's just unacceptable. They're better than some teams in the NBA uh, without Anthony Davis. They, they definitely are, especially some teams in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, you just have to question that. But, yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that they can't make it. Anthony Davis is so good that when he comes back, I'm sure that this team is going to start winning basketball games at a, at a significant rate. But... You know, just as an overall picture, they got to do something. And listen, I'm with you. I don't see Anthony Davis as being that type of player. But if this is the type of team that they continue to put out with him, frustration can build. Certainly, uh, if your team is 1-11 without you. But even if he comes back and they don't turn it around, I mean, a couple losing seasons in a row can, can really change uh, the way you feel about a, a team and an organization and a franchise. I mean, the success that they had... 
last year probably really helped him to, you know, feel like, you know, he's on a team that's going somewhere. But if they can't put it together this year, he's going to start to think otherwise. It kind of has a feeling like last year, a different feeling, I guess, because the Thunder were still winning games. But, I mean, you have to keep yourself in a position for when Russell Westbrook was coming back. This team just, the Thunder needed to keep themselves in a position where they could make the playoffs. And they were they were unable to do that. They didn't make the playoffs. But, I mean, you can't start the season 1-20 and or 3-20 and and expect to make the playoffs in the West. Uh, I mean, no matter how good Anthony Davis is, there's only so much you're going to do. Right. And like I'm saying, depending on how far down they go before he gets back and then when he gets back, depending on if they don't play so well to start out with, exactly, they're going to build that hole. And that's that's kind of what I'm saying. And maybe this is a, 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 you know, a sign that this team really isn't that good. Maybe they, they did something special out of character and special for this bunch last season. I mean, could, could be, you could be completely wrong about the whole thing they have built up there. I just, the way they looked last year, uh, they're not world beaters, but they definitely look like they're a playoff team in the Western Conference, which is saying a lot. That means they're a, you're a pretty good basketball team now. I'm talking about the eight seed, but still. I, I mean, they beat out the, the Thunder and the Suns for that eight seed, so it's not like they didn't have competition. They, they deserve to be there, and they earned their way into the playoffs, but um, like we're saying right now, uh, they need to get better. Uh, ho- hopefully, uh, Tyreek Evans, uh, the return of Tyreek Evans and Anthony Davis getting healthy can help them out um, because they're, they're digging themselves in a real big hole right now. All right. Well, speaking of big holes, although this team is not expected to get out of it at any point or really do anything other than probably lose the next six games, is the Philadelphia 76ers who... At 0-12, it's not just that they're 0-12. It's just the way that they're playing. Um, I don't know what to say other than this is an absolute disgrace to the city of Philadelphia, to the franchise name, to NBA basketball in general, to basketball everywhere. Uh, The last game they played, they committed 31 turnovers. I'm a 76ers fan. I'm a huge sports fan. I love the NBA, as everybody knows already. And I watched the 76ers in their last game for three quarters. And I, I honestly, I couldn't bear it any longer. It's just, it's not basketball. I don't know what it is. There's guys on the floor. They're running up and down. They, they have a basketball that they're playing with. But it's not, it's nothing like I've ever seen before. I mean, I've seen sixth graders execute offense and defense better than this team does. It, it's not pretty. And they need... I mean, I think I heard half of their players that have played minutes this year have been undrafted. And with all their draft picks uh, that they've had over recent years, uh, I know they've had a lot of injuries. And Kendall Marshall's coming back, and Carl Landry will eventually be back. Um, Covington's been hurt, and a couple other guys, but and Tony Rowan also. I mean, those are guys that will help this team out. But right now it's just really bad. Um, really bad basketball, like you said, and um, some some games they're not even competing. And I think they lost 27 points the other night to the Indiana Pacers, um, who are a good team in the East. Uh, I mean, not a team that you should be losing to, but 27, I don't think. Um, but it, it's just ugly basketball. It's one thing. The record's one thing, like I said, because and people people harp on it a little bit too much. 
Because it's really, to me, that's not the most important thing. Because we know that they're not going to be good and they're not going to win a lot of games. And as a Philadelphia 76ers fan, I knew that coming into the season. So I'm kind of okay with that part of it. Now, 0-12 isn't, isn't really what I was hoping for. I was hoping for maybe two or three wins by this point. Really, that's, that was the most of my expectations. But well, a reasonable expectation. Obviously, I want to see them do a lot better than that. And I think that they have some pieces if they can you know, get play real basketball. Maybe they could do a little bit better than that. But you know, I wouldn't be upset if they had two or three wins. The thing that, that bothers me, like I said, this team is getting beat on average by 14 points per game. That's double-digit points per game. 14. Not, no team in the NBA, I think, has a bigger margin. Pelicans, I think, are second at 9.7. Okay, and we just talked about what an atrocity they've been so far this season. The next team has a differential of minus 7.7. That's the Brooklyn Nets. So when Anthony Davis comes back, the next team is going to be almost half the point differential, negative point differential the Sixers have. Uh, it's, it's, and like you said, I think I'm starting to get angry at the ownership because they've had all these draft picks. So many of the guys, like you said, are guys that weren't drafted, which makes no sense. Where are the guys we did draft? That's one. Two, out of all this mess in these past couple of seasons, all I know is we have a lot of good, got young guys that can be good bench players, and we have two guys that I'm certain of, only two, that are going to be starters next year. That's, that's, that's disgraceful. How, you have two guys. You have J- Jalil Okafor and Nerlens Noel. Those guys are definitely future starters. How about in this whole mess have you not even gotten a third guy that you know is definitely going to be a starter? The rest of these guys that are playing are not starters in the NBA. I like McConnell. I love him. He's been great. I hope he's on the Sixers for the next 10 years as a backup, not as a starter. And that's the thing that bothers me. There's just You have a bunch of backup players. I mean, where is the other starters i'm not talking about even a superstar just someone that we can look to and say hey this guy's definitely going to be our starting point guard shooting guard small forward for the future but i mean the, the big problem is the biggest draft or the, the draft of the most hype over the last 10 years or so the sixers had two lottery picks in and both of their picks have not played a single game in, in the nba that being joel Embiid and dario sarich uh i mean there's a big problem right there. Three and eleven, very, very good picks. I mean, you do have Nick Stauskas now from that draft. Uh, Stauskas has played inconsistently, but played uh, a lot better than he did in Sacramento. Uh, so there is hope there. But like you're saying, I mean, I do like Kendall Marshall. I don't know if he can be a starter in the league, but I'm excited to see him play with the Sixers team when he's healthy. Tony Rowan, I do like as a, a very good backup point guard. Um, but, I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about backup point guard, backup shooting guard. Uh, and, and besides Okafor and Nerlens, I really don't see anybody else also. And the problem is, here's the thing, and this is why I discount Embiid, because I'm not like everybody else who says he's never going to play. I think that maybe he will, maybe he won't. I think that the Sixers, like I've said before, they're just not encouraged to bring this guy out into the floor. They have no reason to. They know that they're going to have another bad season. They might as well just sit the kid and let his injury fully heal as as long as they can. Now, if he never plays, whatever. If he does play and he's better than Nerlens, because I doubt he's, even if he's better than Ja, he's not going to start over Ja. The only option would be to bet you better than Nerlens and start, because otherwise they'll be starting both guys. You, you get what I'm trying to say. Ja's going to be that good that you have to leave him as a starter on the floor, whether at the four or the five. Probably. Well, I think those two complement each other perfectly, too. I think Okafor and uh, Embiid could play perfectly with each other. Embiid has a jumper. He can play outside. 
um, while Okafor is mainly, even though he has really shot pretty well, uh, he's impressed me with that. Uh, his jumper uh, and his ability to shoot outside has really improved. Yeah, but my, my, my final point was that Joel Embiid is basically either becoming a backup, not playing, or becoming a starter over one of the two starting positions that we're sure of right now. So even if one of, even if he turns out to be a great player, all we've done is left ourselves now still with only two starting spots. That's what I'm saying. Sarge is a different situation because if he comes over and he plays well, well, then we have an, another starter. Now we have three starters. So that's the frustration I have with that. But I think Jaleel Okafor was the right pick at the time for many reasons, and obviously he's panned out. I won't be upset. I hope Embiid comes and he starts, and Nerlens we bring him off the bench. My problem is we still don't have all these other starting positions. And like you said, you mentioned we've mentioned three guys in this podcast that we like as backup point guards. Well, how many point guards can we have? You know, maybe we should trade one of these guys for a shooting guard or whatever. Now Stauskas might be a backup shooting guard. The only problem with him right now, and I think he's getting a lot of heat, and there's a lot, there's a big spotlight on him. Because he's being forced into a role that he has no business being in. He's supposed to play 20 minutes, come off screens, shoot the basketball. That's that's Nick Stauskas. He do, we don't need him dribbling, trying to beat guys off the dribble, doing all this stuff, playing 35 minutes. And the problem is you do that to a lot of guys right now because you know you don't have starters. And you, you're forcing these backup guys into starter roles, and it's making them look bad. If Stauskas needs to play like a Jamal Crawford-type player. He needs to come off the bench, uh, just light up when he comes off the bench. I mean, I don't. I think he can succeed in this Sixers team, especially with Okafor drawing double teams and kicking it out. But um, like you said, his role right now is, is not that. And um, I, he may be in the future. I mean, he could develop into that. But right now, as a second-year player, who's virtually a first-year player, he really didn't get much playing time last year. Uh He's just not ready for it. Yeah, and you're going to see that with a lot of the guys on this roster. And, you know, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it's just you have a lot of guys that are either going to work out as backups or not, and that's it. So I think the frustration is that, like I said, you have two starters and that's it. I don't know where these other starters are going to come from. Obviously, the hope is that we have four first-round draft picks this year. I I haven't looked too closely to see... How much talent is in this draft? Maybe you have some idea already, but I mean, how many? You have to hope. But you know, even if we have the worst record, which obviously we're going to have at this point, although Brooklyn and the Lakers both are are putting up a nice competition with us for that. But we don't look nearly as good as either of those teams, so we'll have to see how that that goes for the rest of the year, obviously. But it doesn't guarantee you anything. I think the highest percentage is twenty five. I could be wrong about that too, but. You know, it's, yep, twenty five percent. Yes, the worst team. Yeah, so it's only a quarter. Does you know, and we've seen it the past couple of years where teams that had the worst record didn't get the, the lottery pick. So I you, think the I think this year the Timberwolves were the first team since maybe the Magic when they got Dwight Howard. So it's not. <laughs> I mean, of course, it's all percentages, but just to give people an idea, about two times in the last ten years, it, it actually has happened or so. Well, if you think about it, it makes sense. Uh, the percentage is its more likely than not. If you have the worst yeah. record in the NBA, it's more likely, like wildly more likely than not, you won't get the first pick. So it's 75%, was- you'll get a different pick. So that, that's, that's the thing. And so even if you have the worst record, you're not guaranteed that. So I, I don't know. And, and again, what are we going to do? You answer this question. 
if we get the number one overall pick and we take Simmons, what are we going to do with him? Oh, he's going to be the starter at small forward. So you play him at small forward? I mean, I, I've only seen, I think, one game so far of his. Is he going to have the quickness to play small forward in the NBA? I think he does. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen too much of him either. Um, but I, I think most scouts are projecting him as a, a small forward, even though he's 6'10". Okay. He doesn't have the body for a power forward right now. So he's kind of a, a tweener right now. Uh, but he's not a Derek Williams tweener. Uh, I mean, he has the body and quickness of a small forward. Okay. Then then I'm fine with that, and I'm going to hope for it in that case because I can't. we can't draft another big man unless we're going to do some kind of deal um, and get rid of somebody because, like That's I said— That's the problem with not getting the first pick. I mean, the other— the other top guys are, are big guys in this draft, and uh, I mean we're we're kind of we, you can't take another big guy like you're saying. You you either have to trade this pick, and we could possibly have two top four, top five picks. Uh, we own the right. the Sixers own the the Lakers pick as long as it's not in the top three. Right. So, I mean, you got a lot of you got a lot of big guys. Uh, I mean, probably the top point guard. Last shooting guard, I, I don't know what you would call him. Is Jamal Murray the guy, the uh, guy from Kentucky? Uh, which I mean, we've only seen him play a couple games because he's a freshman too. So uh, th- there's not a lot of top guards like we see all the time now. I mean, usually uh, it's been big guys at the top of the draft, and now it's switching to small guys. And uh, I mean, Steph Curry is a big reason why. Yeah, and I like the Sixers the way that they look as far as. In the post, I, I like that uh, our future looks like we're going to pound it inside to Jaleel Okafor a lot. Now, if Embiid comes and starts playing great, you know, maybe our strategy changes a little bit. But that's always going to be a part of what we do offensively. And I love it because it's going to give teams fits because, like you said, everybody's kind of going the other direction. And it's worked pretty well. But they're still going to have trouble defending Jaleel in a couple years from now when he starts to really refine his game. I mean, he's already dominating a lot of the quote-unquote big men in the NBA right now who aren't really true big men. I mean, he's just bigger bodied and has a skill set that we haven't seen since guys like, you know, Tim Duncan. And I'm not putting him there. I'm just saying that kind of uh, game, a little bit slower. They're not really quick, uh, but they have great footwork, great post moves, stuff like that. And they just they just beat you even though they're not really that fast or quick or athletic. And I think that I like that we're going to have that. But at the end of the day, in order to keep up in the modern NBA, you're going to have to have some good guards. And we also need somebody at the guard position that can you know really put the ball in the basket. Uh, at least somebody that can score 15 to 20 a night on a good team. And so uh, these are all things that we're searching for. And in the meantime, like I said, this this might be. Throughout this whole process, quote-unquote process, this might be the worst team that the Sixers have, have had in these past couple of years. Yeah, uh, I, I think if they get healthy, they're better than last year's team. Uh, I mean, they have Oka 4. Um, they'll have Rotenback, Marshall, Covington. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good team. I'm not saying it's a great team. I'm saying it's better than last year and a lot more potential than last year. Uh, and looking forward to the future, um, you're in a better position than last year. Okay, well let's let's uh, let's look at the standings. I know it's early, but uh, I want to keep track this time around of of our predictions and kind of see how we feel about uh, what we predicted. I'm just going to go starting with the Eastern standings. 
We both had the Cavs at the top, and that's where they're at right now, 9-3. I still feel pretty good about this. They looked pretty good so far this season. I know LeBron has called them out for not really being that hungry, like I mentioned earlier, but they are 9-3. and three. There's just so much talent on this roster, I think. At some point, it probably won't be until the playoffs. They'll get a fire lit, and they're going to be really deadly. Yeah, I mean, I expect the Cavs to win. Uh, to win the East. Um, I, I don't think I predicted them to come out of the East, but they're definitely going to be the first seed, in my opinion. I, I have written down that you did, but I could be wrong. Maybe I wrote it down wrong. I, I had that you that you had them winning. Um, but anyways, regardless. Oh, no. Yes, that is correct. That did have them coming out of the East. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. So for the two seed, uh, it's the Chicago Bulls right now. I had the Bulls there. You had the Wizards there. Uh, obviously, that's where I picked them at, so I feel pretty good about that. They're at eight and three. Also, they look pretty good so far this year. Uh, I've went from Bulls hater to Bulls lover, apparently, which I found out in the middle of our, our podcast. Um, and uh, h- how are you feeling about your chances of the Wizards? Obviously, it's it's they're only a game two games back. It's early in the season, but do you like the way they look? Do you still feel confident that they're going to be the two seed at the end of the year? Um, I, I mean. I like Otto Porter, how he's been playing. Obviously, we know we're going to get out of Wall and Beal. Um, so I'm going to stick with that. I mean, obviously, like you said, it's still early. So I think that they still have a good chance of getting that top, or second seed. All right. Well, last thing for the Eastern Conference before we move on to the West. Uh, you had the Heat as your team uh, to play the Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference Finals, if I remember correctly. Uh, they're the four seed right now, which I believe is also where you had them. Uh do you do you feel confident still about that? They've looked pretty good so far this year. I didn't I didn't have them as the four seed because then they would be playing the second round. But no matter what, I had them as. Um, I, I still feel confident. Whiteside's been uh, continuing to get better, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna stick with the Heat. Yeah, I'm sorry, you're right. You had them as the seven seed. I I misread. I had them as the four seed. But yeah, regardless, they look pretty good. Um, but let's move on to the Western Conference. I think. It's safe to say that we both feel confident uh, about the Golden State Warriors uh, as our number one seed. Um, neither of us. Yes, very confident about that one. Yeah. Uh, I had the Clippers, I think, at two, and you had the Spurs at the two. Um, I, as far as the Clippers are concerned, I actually do still feel pretty good about that. They have some things to work out, but I think they'll be all right. Chris Paul, it looks amazing so far this season. I'm guessing you feel pretty good about the Spurs being the two seed still. I mean, Kawhi Leonard has looked good. Aldridge has fit in pretty well. Um, I mean, just a quick shout out to Chris Paul, who played amazing last night, and it was very doubtful. Uh, I, I still am a fan of the Clippers uh, doing well this year, but I like the Spurs to get the second seed. Yeah, I think we both had the Clippers in our conference finals. Um, I picked the Spurs to go to the championship. I still feel good about that. They're sitting at 9-2, and two, which is actually a lot better than what they usually do because they usually rest so many guys, but they're tearing it up. They look great. Um, you had the Clippers, and I'm guessing that you still feel pretty good about that. I do. Yeah, they haven't looked great, and I think I had them playing. Did I have them playing the Thunder? Yeah, you had them playing the Thunder. Yeah, I mean, Durant's coming back from his hamstring. They'll be fine. 
Uh, it's the Thunder. They got Westbrook and Durant. Uh, I still feel confident about that one. Yeah, I'm starting to kind of come around on that. Uh, I think those two guys are so much to handle that they can beat teams by themselves. Because I was harping so much on their backup players, but I don't think it'll be a factor that much. I think those two guys could definitely go on a tear and, and really make a real run at this. Obviously, the only thing that puts any doubt in either of our minds right now about any of our picks would be the way that the Warriors have looked so far. But like we said, it's very early in the season. Uh, hopefully do another one in a couple weeks uh, to try to see uh, how, how confident we still feel, as, as both of us are pretty confident in what we've, what we've seen so far in our teams. Uh, but like we said, it's early. Hopefully the next time we do a pick-and-roll podcast, uh, the Sixers will have a win. If not, the entire city of Philadelphia <laughs> might be up in flames. But um, that's all from us. I don't for think this. That- Sorry, go ahead. There hasn't been a home win yet in Philadelphia in the, in the month of November. That's right. Out I think, of any of the teams. Yeah, that's right. I think they're a combined 0-11. Not going to get any help from the Sixers, and I'm not just saying that because they're bad, because they are, but they also don't have any home games the rest of the season. I mean, the rest of the, the month of November. So it's up to the Flyers and the Eagles play this Sunday against the Buccaneers. So we'll have to see what happens, but it's looking gloomy for us Philadelphia fans who have all – we have all four sports and all four – Teams are under 500 this year, so it's just absolutely terrible. But on that uh, sour note, <laughs> this has been the latest edition of the Pick and Roll Podcast. Alongside me, as always, was Kevin McLernan. I'm Bill Golden, and uh, thank you very much for listening.